Now, it's time for the Cybersecurity News Bite with Jim Guckin. Cybersecurity News Bite, episode number 77 for January 22nd, 2024. Russian hackers stole Microsoft corporate emails. Critical vCenter flaw now exploited in attacks. Team viewer abused in to breach networks and TA-866 returns with a large email campaign. Hey everyone, welcome back. It is me, your absent host, Jim Guckin, back for another uh, 2024 version of Cybersecurity News Bite, the podcast of the cybersecurity news stories I think you need to pay attention to and stuff you need to know in this upcoming week. Um, so, uh, glad to have you back. Sorry for the long break. Vacation time, you know. Everyone wants to take off for the holidays and get settled up. And uh, while this is the first week, I had enough time to put together the stories to you know, tell you. Otherwise, it's just me riffing on <laughs> the things that happened during the week. And no one wants that. I don't have a good enough memory to sit there and be able to tell you these stories and be confident about any of them. Uh, but I want to start off with a, with a, with a, with a big story for this first one, uh, which is, uh, some Russian hackers, uh, attacked and stole Microsoft corporate emails. And the reason this is kind of big is one, it's Microsoft. You kind of expect them to be, um, the big dogs in the game. But as we go through this attack, I want you to, to, to watch the things versus, um, as a parent, I often say, you know, kind of when you want your kids to do the right things, you know, do as I say, not as I do. And, and this is kind of the case uh, Microsoft um, did. Uh, they, they they say, do as, do as I say, not not like we do. Um, and as I said, they, they had their, uh, their corporate emails breached um, by a uh, group that is known as, well, a bunch of names, you know, in cybersecurity world, this is what we've gotten to nowadays is, you know, uh, groups with 85 different names, depending on who catches and who names them and who's tracking them. And, um, not really mostly by the groups themselves, but, um, they're known as midnight blizzard. They're known as nobelium. They're known as APT 29. And they're also known as cozy bear. Uh, this group is believed to be a Russian state sponsored group. Um, and the rumor is, is they are part of the Russian foreign intelligence service, the SVR. Um, and this is the group that, um, if you pay attention to groups, um, honestly, they, they had a big, uh, a big hit, uh, with the solar winds attack, that big attack that happened at the supply chain where they got the code in there and it was a big to do. Uh, yeah. So they, they were the group behind that. And, uh, they also in 2021, also compromised Microsoft again. Uh, so uh, this was just reported um, la uh, late last week. So I don't have a lot of detail on this. And like I said, for most incidents, I don't necessarily expect a lot of information to come out about it. Um, but what we do know is that some of its corporate email accounts were, were compromised. Data in those emails were compromised. Um, this attack was originally detected uh, January 12th. Uh, but the attack kind of happened all the way back in November. And they are saying, um, this was a password spray attack against Microsoft and they got access to a test account, but 
you know, here's where I am. A password spray means there was no MFA. There was no two-factor authentication. There was nothing they did to protect this account. Um, but I'm thinking there's there, there's pieces missing here. Uh, and this is kind of what intrigues me in the long run is I wish I knew more of what happened because, um, one, it's a big a, a advanced persistent threat group, an APT group. Um, so, you know, they, they have the resources that most normal groups don't have. Um, that what we know is they password sprayed and they got access to a, a, um, a test account. Now, for those of you who don't know, a, a password spray is where, um, the attack is they, they generally grab either a bunch of usernames or a bunch of passwords and throw them, um, at the wall in, in iterations to see if they can get access to an account. Now, even if you have a username and password, Microsoft's best security practice says, hey, you should have MFA in there so that they can't uh, access that. But uh, quite often you'll find in service accounts and uh, test accounts, dev accounts, they where multiple people may be using them. It doesn't necessarily make sense for a MFA to be set up. And it's because a lot of people are using it, so you'd have to kind of keep the the you know, the MFA portion of it in a accessible spot, maybe in your office. And maybe if not, everyone's in the same office, that becomes more difficult. But th this is kind of what you do to, to protect those accounts. And I always recommend, look, I understand dev accounts and, you know, service accounts and, and some other things. Um, if you don't have other controls around them, like not being able to log in or stuff like that, um, MFA should be something you put in place. Even if it's something that you just use to display something on a TV. Um, Definitely recommend putting MFA on there because these are the accounts that, that become vulnerable. Now, my other problem with this is how do you get from a test account to pivot to Microsoft leadership's uh, email accounts? Like what, what, what's the, what's the steps that you need to take to get there? Uh, and I don't know, because I can't imagine anything where you would have a test account with any kind of authority to pivot to executive accounts. And it wasn't just executive accounts. It, I mean, the, the Microsoft leadership team uh, had their emails access, but also the legal and the cybersecurity teams as well. So either this test account was way over-provisioned with, with rights, or um, there's a couple of pivots in there they're not talking about. Um, you know, maybe from one account to another, to another, to another, to another, and that's how they got where they got to. But... Uh, right now, the Microsoft blog post and the uh, SEC filings in which they have to now uh, start reporting when they have compromises. Uh, none of that has any real information on how this attack went down. Um, though I did think it was funny because initially the data, according to Microsoft, the data they were looking for was actually about them. They were looking for information on them initially. Um, so very interesting there. Um but this goes to show you, and this is why, you know, part of it is, is you know, I kind of want to make fun of Microsoft for their constant pushing of, hey, you need MFA, you need MFA, you need MFA. And then all of a sudden, when, you know, uh, an attack happens, we find out Microsoft doesn't necessarily use MFA on all of their different uh, systems. So it's kind of odd there. But also it goes to show you that Microsoft, you think Microsoft has their stuff together way better than anyone else. Yeah, like the, they're the industry leader when it comes to security. They have all this data and 
if the information's true and they gained access in November, that's November, December, and half of January, that these, and I'm not going to say like they're, they're your average, um, you know, uh, small group of hackers. Uh, like these are, for what you can call in the industry, probably professional hackers. Um, they were in the systems without triggering anything, any of Microsoft's, um, you know, probably built in security alerts. Um, I would think anyone having access to someone else's mailbox might be something that Microsoft want to put in line, but I like, I don't know what the peak behind the scenes of them is, but it's just interesting to show you that like, even, even the big security companies who sit there and chastise us over and over again saying, Hey, um, make sure you use MFA. They too can sometimes fall victim to this stuff. So once again, uh, the way to protect yourself from this stuff is make sure you have MFA, make sure that uh, if the account is unable to have MFA, there are other things to put in place uh, so that the, that if an account is compromised, it is very limited to, limited in what it can do. And if an account isn't used often, maybe set up some alerts around that just to make sure that your security uh, team gets pinged if all of a sudden a test account that no one's been using all of a sudden starts doing things it shouldn't be doing. And that's probably the best way to protect yourself from some of this stuff. For our second story this week, uh, vCenter, uh, VMware, VMware vCenter, once again in the news, not for the great reasons. Um, they have a critical vCenter ser uh, server vulnerability out there. It was originally patched back in October, but this is why patching is not just a, oh, I'm just going to worry about the patches for this month. It has to be something that you totally take in uh, because this was patched back in October. We're now several months later, and now it's being actively exploited by uh, malicious actors out there. Um, the exact CVE for this is CVE 2023-34048. And it is caused by um, writing data outside of the uh, memory bounds that it's looking for. Uh, and the danger for this really is, is and VMware, we've talked many times, they've had a lot of issues and that just comes in the larger the platform, the, the more easy someone's going to do to uh, leverage that in attacks against you. But this is a very low complexity attack. It doesn't require authentication. You don't have to steal someone's uh, username and password. It doesn't even actually require the user to interact with the vulnerability at all. Um, and you could tell VMware is really serious because there's, there, it needs to be patched. They're, they're saying without doubt, like you need, you need to patch this as soon as possible. Uh, there is no workaround. You can't like, if you, it, it's either patch or be vulnerable. Those are the two options when it comes to this vCenter thing. Um, so, um, yeah, said so no workaround. You have to patch if you can find this patch. Um, and if you can't patch for whatever reason, maybe it's a very heavy production server, something you can't touch, um, you need to find some way of putting limits on uh, access to, to, to that VMware environment or just, you know, hope that someone doesn't find it and, and um, access it and make your life miserable. Um, so I will say that in this attack, uh, they have seen um, access and maybe this is a place we can start restricting access. Uh which is uh, the TCP ports 2021, 2014, and 2020. Um, those are the ones that the attack traffic um, 
is mostly going on, but it doesn't have to be the, I mean, it could be anything, but those are the ones that the more recent attacks have seen trying to utilize. And VMware in the vCenter is a very lucrative, very uh, tasty target for, um, for hackers out there, mostly the network access brokers. So, um, and we've kind of talked about this in the show in the past that not necessarily every every person who hacks your network has gotten is the one who gets into your network. Sometimes they're the same, sometimes they're not. Um, and sometimes you get um, network access brokers. Uh, and what these do are these people who get access to corporate systems and then just turn around and sell that. They're not the hackers or what you would consider the ransomware groups or the ones who, who, who are known. They just gain, they gain the access and then they sell it off to uh, whoever the highest bidder is. And, you know, they go in the dark web, they sell it, Hey, easy access. I know that I know company B has this. Um, and we've talked several times last year about big groups who use these kind of uh, access brokers to really make that difference. Um, and some of these groups um, are like Royal, Black Basta, uh, Lockbit, RTM Locker, Q, uh, Quillen, uh, ESXi, Argus, Monty, Akira. And that's just to name a few of these big groups who have launched massive attacks last year, um, some of them into the VMware environments for you know, are using network access brokers. And what they're doing, the, the whole goal of this is to uh, encrypt and bring your systems offline. And, you know, in most places you're used to seeing it kind of on a computer where they put the, they put the driver file, it encrypts it and moves on. But if you think about it from a VMware uh, or a virtual server environment, uh, if you can just encrypt the entire OS, it makes it a lot harder for uh, you to recover it. And um, they can probably do things without you even knowing it by manipulating stuff. So it it, it is um, very important that you patch if you can. Uh, now, Shodan, uh, the kind of the hacker search engine, where you can kind of see what what's uh, accessing the internet or what machines are visible to the internet, I would say. Uh, think about like a, if you're unfamiliar with it, 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 it is a, it's like a worldwide vulnerability scanner for everything on the public network. Um, I like to think of it like a hacker Google. Like if I want to attack a certain system, you can kind of craft your queries to find those systems if they're accessible uh, on the internet. Uh, so Shodan showed about 2000 um, VMware servers uh, with vCenter exposed online. Now, do, do I know if all these are necessarily exploitable via this tactic? No. Um, but it is something that if you have a VMware server that touches uh, the outside of the of your corporate network, it touches the, the public internet, um, you need to be cautious of that stuff. Um, and I thought it was kind of funny, just kind of rounding off the story, that it was so serious that we're so used to people go talking about the end of life uh, for systems. And that comes when a vendor no longer wants to give you updates for it. It's just, all right, we're done. No more. It's over. Um, VMware actually put out some patches for end of life systems because that's how serious they took this. Um, granted, they want you to keep up the, the most uh, current version, uh, but they were, that's how afraid they were. They were like, hey, this version's no longer supported by us, but here still is a patch. Uh, and that should be your number one kind of signal that, yeah, this is 
this is not good. Now, if you've been in IT for any length of time, uh, this third story should be something that starts to concern you um, because it has to do with a very popular uh, remote access tool that a lot of uh, IT departments out there use. And they use it because it's it's simple. It's It has a lot of capabilities to it. And, uh, well, so do hackers like that same exact thing. So we're talking about TeamViewer, um, which a lot of IT departments are using to help uh, support themselves. Whether you're in the office or at home, they can just remote in. Um, if you're on the corporate network or not, it gives you a lot of ways of, of um, troubleshooting devices without some of the complexities of, oh, well, you have to be on the network and we have to use this client. It, it, it's, it's very easy to use. And there have been uh, ebbs and flows of where attackers have started using this. Um, but a cybersecurity company called Huntress recently put out a report where they've been looking through uh, a couple different compromises and found um, that by analyzing the log files, that connections underscore incoming text, which shows the internal connect or the incoming connections to that team viewer session, the, the computer that it's on, um, they're starting to see that attackers are really starting to, to leverage this over and over again. Um, some of the connections came from the same host. Um, and when they were looking, they've kind of seen two different things. You know, sometimes you have a, a, a device that has a lot of people logging into it over and over again, um, which are very active stuff. Um, and there's been some systems that have TeamViewer installed where there has been a long dry spell for logging into that system. And that creates that, that vulnerability. A hacker can get in. They see, Hey, look, no one's been logging into this for a while. I can probably move around and not have a lot of, uh, problems on it. Um, but so hackers, once again, are exploiting this, um, most likely due to, uh, and we'll talk about what, uh, team viewers, uh, response to some of these have been. Um, but I'm going to assume that these are not your hardened team viewer sessions. They're kind of left open. They have weak passwords. They have, um, outdated versions with vulnerabilities to them. I mean, this is the kind of the typical stuff we see over and over again, but um, what they found is attackers are starting to use this again. Um, they detected a, a group who was deploying ransomware using a DOS batch file called pp.bat. Uh, they put it on the desktop. It runs, it executes a, a file via the run DLL32 uh, DLL process. Uh, the file is called lb underscore run DLL32 underscore pass dot DLL. It's using some kind of password protected um, DLL file to be able to extract itself. Um, and it looks like it's kind of using some of the, uh, lock bit, uh, 3.0 ransomware. Uh, though it doesn't seem as if the lock bit group is responsible for this. There was a little while back where lock bit, um, had some of their code leaked. And this looks like it's another ransomware, uh, group using the rants, uh, the lock bit ransomware, uh, encoder. And most of that's just down to the the uh, ransomware note that they leave on the computer. It's not the same as Lockbits. So it's probably another group who just gained access to this code. That, you know, it leaked uh, and people got access to it. And, and it's it's something you kind of have to watch out for, especially on the dark web, where uh, some of the stuff is traded, is moved from one group to another. People split off. They take parts of the code. Um, but Lockbit did have their, their new ransomware code leaked. Um, so it wasn't great. 
so kind of like as I talked about, uh, TeamViewer kind of came back for this and says, our analysts show that most instances of unauthorized access involved weakening of TeamViewer's default security settings. Meaning um, by default, I mean, the, it's not super secure, but it's not open. And the times when TeamViewer has been brought in, uh, they have found that people have taken that default security settings and moved them uh, less. Uh, they say also say the use of easily guessable passwords, which is only possible using outdated versions of their product, meaning the newer version uh, makes it harder. But if you're using an outdated version, obviously that's problematic. So you should be keeping that updated as much as possible. And also outdated versions also show you that like you might be able to find vulnerabilities in them. They are not they don't have all the latest security patches uh, and that causes a problem. But the worst part is, is TeamViewer gives an attacker, if they can, if they know it's there and they can find it and they see the open ports, maybe you haven't even changed the default ports, um, they can gain access to a system. And it's not like a lock screen system. It, you can get into the TeamViewer session just with the TeamViewer username and password. Uh, and then they have open access to that system. Um, and as I said, it, it, it's a really easy tool. So a lot of places have it, but... Once again, you know, organizations sometimes of certain sizes or even smaller sizes um, don't really think of the, the security ramifications of this. So they have simple passwords. They have things that a group of people can share really easily. Um, but I caution against this because this is the problem that you get into is if someone gets into your system, they have access. Um, and, you know, this may be a jump box. It may be a user's desktop and they're not there and the stuff goes on or they're expecting someone or they think it may be it um they can run files uh through certain versions of, of team viewer um as an admin like i said these are support tools so you know i log in i have access i go hey let's just run this this you know batch file or dll file or any of the stuff that i put on the on a computer and now you know i own that computer now you want to hope you want to hope that your you know, endpoint detection and response systems or your virus scanners or your malware scanners, something catches that activity. Um, but nothing's 100%. So it's not like you can just guarantee that you're going to make sure that this stays safe. So just be cautious when using tools like this. They are very helpful, but make sure you use a more hardened version of it. Make sure there is a very secure password. Um, make sure you're monitoring for when people make those connections so that you can kind of see what it is and even if it's like you know segment that if it's a jump box off so that it only can connect to certain things it doesn't have full access um you'll probably be you know in my opinion probably in a slightly better place than leaving it you know just hanging out there now for our final story this week um this has to do with a um, group called TA-866. I'm sure it's not their name. It's the name that's been given to them. Um, but I thought it was very interesting only because of the chain of the attack. So TA-866 was first seen back in October of 2022. So they're, they're not new to the game. Uh, they're very financially motivated. Um, but they've also been kind of absent for nine months. I don't know if they were giving birth to a baby or what, but they, they, they've been gone for about nine months. Um, these are, this is also the group who has, um, 
who uses uh, Wasabi Seed, which is against persistence, is a malware tool on the computer, and as well as Screenshotter, which so they can take pictures of your screen to be able to steal some of that data. Uh, so they have just became active again. Proofpoint found them um, by identifying the malicious uh, emails they were sending out. And I want to make sure you're aware so you don't fall for these um, because as I said, Proofpoint blocked it. I don't know about all the other providers. I'm sure most of them have found uh, this out as well and have done things, but Proofpoint was when I found the uh, the information on. Uh, so they are sending the invoice-themed emails. You know, the, oh, you have an invoice due and this is what it is. And yeah, so they use those kind of attacks. They have an attached PDF to it. And my initial thought when reading this was, well, the PDF probably has something, you know, has a malicious thing once you open it. And it's funny because it actually contains a OneDrive URL. And that OneDrive URL leads you to malware. So you have to open up the email. You have to open up the PDF. You have to click the OneDrive URL that's in there. And I don't know how they necessarily get you to do that. Probably saying, hey, pay here. Or here's, check this invoice or see the status. Something along those lines. Uh, you can look out for it because right now they're using... Um, the PDF attachments called document underscore, and then there's some 10 digits dot uh, PDF. Uh, some of the email subjects uh, are called like project achievements. Um, that might be one way to check for it. Um, but as I said, here's the way the attack goes. So you get the email, you open up the PDF. The PDF links you to a OneDrive document. You open the OneDrive uh, JavaScript document. The JavaScript... Uh, is run by the user. It downloads and runs an MSI file. The MSI file uh, executes uh, Wasabi Seed VBS script. And the Wasabi Seed VBS script then downloads and executes a second MSI file as well as um, pulling um, information from their command and control servers to see if there's any other information that may be out there or any, any, any steps for it to take. Um, and they're not really quite sure of what other payloads it might be pulling down. They haven't, they've just kind of got that far, but it could be anything. Uh, and finally the, the second MSI file that it downloads, um, contains the screenshotter malware that we talked about. It's very, very popular for them so that they can take uh, screenshots of the desktop and send it off to their command and control server. All this being so that they can kind of, uh, gather information for what their next attack is. <clears throat> They'll see everything that's on your computer. They'll know from one thing to the next what you're doing. They'll have screenshots of the data, which may not trigger off any DLP alerts unless you're scrubbing that data. So it gives them kind of an interesting thing to see what work is being done on that computer or that server. See the information. If you have a password file and you open it up and it screenshots it, then they have the passwords. Um, just be careful of this uh, because... As I said, th their whole deal is um, they want to make money. They're financially motivated. So um, they'll take whatever information they can to either um, coerce you into paying it or to kind of push you down that same kind of line to either, you know, deploy ransomware later on. Um, but they want money. out. The whole game for them is money. So, you know, just be careful of this. Watch out for things. Standard email security should keep kind of keep you there. Be careful about downloading attachments. As I said, the attachment itself isn't isn't malicious, so it's going to get through sometimes some of your um, your tools because the link inside is what takes you to something that is malicious. And I'm sure that they keep rotating this because Microsoft will probably quash some of these 
um, OneDrive files, but you can create a OneDrive for free with with a gig of space in it. They'll just rotate to the next thing. So um, please be cautious as it comes in. Keep an eye out for those emails. Um, but invoice themes uh, kind of phishing is is always out there. But this one has um, some malicious stuff behind it, just not where you might necessarily think it goes. All right, everyone. Thanks so much once again for listening to the show. Don't forget, you can find out more, including the show notes that I use to build the show, as well as links uh, for the articles that I use for reference. You can check that all out on our on our website, cybersecuritynewsbyte.com. Uh, we try to put out a show every Monday, hoping usually for Monday morning for the podcast to go out, but sometimes it's Monday night. Um, but Monday is when the podcast goes out. Uh, I'm back again, so hopefully we'll be keeping these on a more weekly rotation. Uh, you can find out more about me uh, at my website, jimguckin.com. Uh, you can send me an email or a story or you want to just chat. You can always reach me at me and me at jimguckin.com. Uh, I'm always uh, I'm always looking to talk to people. Uh, so also, don't forget, you can find this podcast on all your favorite podcast sites. If it's not on one that you like, you let me know and I'll make sure it gets there. Um, I think we're covered broadly with all the major ones, at least. Uh, and don't forget to make sure you stay safe online and we'll talk again next week. You've been listening to the Cybersecurity News Byte with Jim Guckin. Learn more about our show at cybersecuritynewsbyte.com.